Welcome to Cardinal Conversations, a career podcast from the Catholic University of America, brought to you by the Center for Academic and Career Success and the Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm Dr. Ryan Cheatham, the Associate Director of Employer Relations and Assessment in the Center for Academic and Career Success, and I have with me my partner in crime, Brett LaPrade, the Director of Career Development and Professional Networking in the Office of Alumni Engagement. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing well, Ryan. Yeah. I'm doing well. Yeah, we're fully into the new year. Mm-hmm. The, you know, cobwebs that yeah. were in my brain and my body uh-huh. over the holiday season are, I think they're finally shaking out. That's but. good. That's good. Did they did they shake out over MLK Day of Service? Yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. Such a that's one of the nice traditions about Catholic University is the emphasis on service across many different days, but especially the MLK Day of Service where the yeah. athletic teams get out mm-hmm. and campus ministry and other organizations get out into the city and yeah. say, hey, we're not just here to like glean from the city, but we're here to give back to the city. Absolutely. I, myself coming from a historically black college and university, MLK Day of Service was always looked as a, not a day off, but a day on yeah. and mm-hmm. getting out in the community, rolling up your sleeves. And I know my sorority and, and, and other organizations organizations we get out there and and we take care of each other so glad to have done that and i hope that you were able to get that out there as well and and roll up your sleeves too yeah so who do we have on doc today brett today we've got lauren sarmer a recent graduate who has an interesting story moving from the nonprofit world and the catholic church world to uh, working for a, a very large company whom i'm sure many of our listeners have heard of before wow so Okay. Looking forward to hearing what that's been like for her from a young alumnus perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to the conversation with a Cardinal. I'm excited, Ryan, for our interview today with a recent alumna, Lauren Han Sarmer, who studied politics, did her BA here in 2017, and an MA in 2018. So we have a double Cardinal again. All right. We've had a recent round of those, which mm-hmm. has been a lot of fun to hear how people have grown and thought about doing their undergraduate here and then continuing on in their graduate studies and the way that's affected their career paths. So, Ryan, I'm excited to talk with Lauren today. Oh, yeah, I am too. And I just... I think the best place to start, Brett, like always, Lauren, what have you been up to since Catholic U? Yeah, thanks. Thanks to both you, Brett, and you, Ryan, for having me on. I really appreciate y'all. So I'm originally from Houston, Texas, lived there until high school, and then my family decided that we were going to move to Chicago, Illinois. And then I got accepted to Catholic in 2014 as a senior, obviously. And then my family decided to move to Memphis, Tennessee, which is where they live now. So that's probably why you don't hear any twang in my voice. It's kind of a mix of everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Chicago took it out. That makes sense. (laughs) Yes. You'll hear Chicago on certain words, but um, I do say y'all trying to stay, got to stay true to the roots. Is it soda or pop? It's soda. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you held on to that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and then, so my family moved when I started my freshman year at Catholic. So for Thanksgiving in 2014, I went to a totally new place, a new city and everything, but I was technically going home. So that was a little strange, but yeah, really enjoyed my time at Catholic. I did program board for a couple of years in undergrad and then obviously majored in politics, like you already said. And then in The first semester of my junior year, I went for just an academic counseling session and they said, 
well, you know, you could graduate early. So it worked out for me to end up getting the um, international affairs MA and world politics and was able to do both degrees in four and a half years. So that just worked out really well. And then did the parliament program as well. My sophomore year at Catholic. So spent a summer in London working for a member of parliament during the EU referendum, which was really, really interesting. Very cool. And then career-wise, while I was a Catholic and undergrad, did a lot of internships, like I said, in Parliament, but then also on both sides of the Hill and then at conservative think tanks around town. And then my first job out of undergrad while I was getting my MA at CUA was working for a GOP direct mail firm. And I only lasted about six months there. It just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely learned a lot about how I act as a professional and then also what I want and what I expect from Mm -hmm. the company for which I work and what matters to me. And I left that job without having another one, which I don't recommend to anyone. (laughs) So (laughs) I was unemployed for only about six weeks, thankfully, but still that was probably one of the hardest uh, times in my life. And then found an executive assistant position that was a perfect fit while I was attending night classes at CUA to get my MA. And then I was also planning a wedding. So an administrative position was definitely Uh, the right fit at that time. And then in 2019, I joined the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops staff, uh, the USCCB, which is just right down the road from campus, and worked for their Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection for about three years. And that was honestly one of the most fulfilling jobs I've ever had. But there weren't a lot of career growth opportunities and just expansion there. So I decided to move on. And then this past August, I started with the newsroom over at Northrop Grumman Corporation in Falls Church, Virginia. So I've been doing that for about three months now. Wow. Wow. What a trajectory from like even the moves to (laughs) the, (laughs) to, to the moves you made after, after school, while you were in school. And even though everything kind of like, I think, may have seemed different places, I think it all has tied together quite well for you and holistically utilizing all of your skill sets. I think that's awesome. Yeah, my grandmother has this phrase, she likes to say a God wink. Like, I think that's honestly been Hmm. my entire life Mm because I would not have put these experiences together. particularly in my professional life, Mm -hmm. I never would have thought that I would have, you know, jumped around the way I have, Mm -hmm. but it's honestly been definitely divine guidance moving me around for sure. Absolutely. Lauren, you brought up something that's a part of your story. And as I've been working in alumni engagement, I've had the pleasure of speaking with several alumni who have gone through the parliamentary program in the UK. And you mentioned being there during the Brexit referendum and the craziness that that probably intended for (laughs) you. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about what your experience was like there and how that set you up either down a career path or maybe not going down a career path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think so between I was between CUA and another school that's in the New York City area, another Catholic school that has an international diplomacy program. And I was really on the precipice of going there, got accepted to both places, but in the end decided to go to CUA because of the parliament internship program, because I didn't see 
and also the geographic location in DC. I mean, just massive amounts of political opportunity here in the DMV, obviously. But when I decided to come to CUA for the parliament program, I knew that, that okay, as soon as I can get into it, that's what I'm going to try to do. And the Brexit referendum obviously was not but it was not foreseen by me when I chose to go that semester. It really just worked out. And the parliament, the MP that I worked for was actually pro-vote leave. So it was really cool to see, particularly the method of political campaigning. Like, obviously, it wasn't for elected office. It was on a referendum. But just to see how different the political process is in the UK versus here in the States and attending surgeries with my MP and just this, it's a lot more, for lack of a better word, intimate, I think, in the UK, because, I mean, you have a prime minister. I was lucky enough to attend PMQs one time, and seeing David Cameron, who was prime minister at the time, being forced to answer any question that was thrown at him, the president 100% should have to do that <laughs> in the United States. Um, and regardless of political party, that should be a thing. Um, so I think there's a lot we can learn from MPs over across the pond. And I mean, they have six hundred over 600 MPs representing a country that has less of the population of the Northeast of the United States. And we only have 435 congressmen representing mm -hmm. all 350 million of us. Mm -hmm. And we have our senators too, but even then that's still only just over 500, whereas in the UK, you have 600. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting, the different structure. And then obviously the royal family, which we won't go into that, but <laughs> that adds like a whole, a whole other element in the UK. Obviously, they don't have any political power, but even if they say nothing, they're saying something. So I uh, that, that had a lot of um, really interesting. And the MPI intern for was a monarchist. And so he had a lot of really cool insight. And he was also Catholic and pro-life. And so, yeah, it was just really in a Protestant pro-choice country. So it was just all very, very cool. I was really fortunate to be there during that time. And then that same summer, I was able to go with CUA on the pilgrimage to World Youth Day in Krakow in 2016. So, yeah, I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity to be in Europe that summer. Wow, that's really awesome. I mean, and thank you for sharing about the program. You've definitely provided some insight for me and Brett as far as like the different experiences, the terminology, just um, uh, I think it's very interesting. Our politics majors are going to soak all of this conversation up um, when they listen to it. And I guess to that end, my next question for you, Lauren, you're a fairly recent graduate. 2017 and 2018, how have you and how do you approach thinking about long-term career goals in relation to your current position, your current process? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you're in college, particularly in undergrad, at least I did, I had sort of like this idealized vision of what my professional life would be and my personal life too, of course. But, and sometimes that doesn't work out and that's okay. And I think there's a reason for that. Like I was saying a little bit earlier, for me, when I was in school, long-term career goals was I'm going to be on the Hill, right? Right after graduation, I'm going to pay my dues. I'm going to be a legislative aide to some, you know, uh, upcoming congressman, and I'm going to like make my way in Washington. And that's great. And 
if you have the mentality and you're able to do that, that's awesome. That did not work out for me <laughs> for a variety of reasons. <laughs> and that's fine. And I ended up, you know, marrying my husband and ended up at the USCCB and learned so much about communications mm-hmm. and having a national profile and dealing with people who com- who think completely different than me. And honestly, the Catholic Church, as most corporations, as most companies, has a lot of politics, as do most places. Mm-hmm. And so having a politics background and a politics degree helped a lot mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in a room full of bishops who most of the time do not think the same way I do mm-hmm. about certain issues or would approach problems different than I would. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful. But long-term career goals, like I honestly don't have one right now. It's not the same as it was when I was an undergrad. Long-term career goals are less of a position and more of a just being satisfied and with what I'm doing, with how I'm being compensated. My husband and I had a daughter last year. So I mean, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So yes, she's, she keeps us on our toes. And like, you know, what, what job is going to help me give, be a good working mom and like have enough flexibility for me to be a good mom and daughter and wife. So that's more the long-term career goals Mm -hmm. than, you know, a certain position. Mm -hmm. But I think dreams are super important. You always have to have that in mind. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I go where there's opportunity, which was a big catalyst for my most recent job search. Mm-hmm. And I think what I what I always come back to is you don't owe anyone anything. Uh, you owe yourself and your family mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, there's no, there's nothing to be said to stay at a position just to stay at a position. If there's no growth there for you, it's not challenging anymore. That's okay. And it's time to find something else. Yeah. I think that's that's really good. I mean, I like the idea of it's not always a position. Sometimes it's more contextual, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The reasons why we decide we're we're ready to move on or move forward. And I think oftentimes that that's something that not just students but people who are thinking about pivoting careers, we should mm-hmm. really be looking for the contentment or the challenge or the the opportunity to relax. What is it that makes us feel whole and and be our best selves where we need to to be next and keep going in that and it looks different for everybody and so I think that that is a great piece of advice for any community member that's listening to this podcast. Yeah, I agree. And Lauren, I think your point is something that I've thought about recently, too, is, you know, we oftentimes when we're students, we have this idealized version of ourselves and this picture of what we want to be and who we're going to be. And, you know, life has this way of serendipitously changing our plans, (laughs) Uh, whether, you know, you meet someone and get married or you have children or you have other life circumstances that dictate changing your plans, you know, supporting the ones we love and the people we care about and figuring out what our skill sets are and being amenable to change. It seems to be the future of work in general. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you've shared based on your experiences and the way that you approach thinking about your career right now. Uh, So I appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And I, I thank you for that. I would add something else too, that there are different kinds of success. And because 
someone chooses one thing that doesn't mean that he or she is less successful mm -hmm. than someone else yeah. but also you can this is something that i feel like as a working mom like this is a constant struggle is you know you need to be able to find the space in your mind to give yourself to all of your vocations and one of them can and should be your professional job and i think that says a lot to children to have their parents model that for them mm -hmm. that they you can still be a good parent and still be you know present with everyone even even while working and your part of your success is an investment in your professional life and that makes you better in the rest of your life as well yeah definitely well to pivot our conversation just a little bit uh, i want to dig in into some of the skills that you have developed and see if you can share any nuggets for our listeners and even for myself and Ryan, you're a pro. So <laughs> no, no, I need it too. Lifelong learner. Always. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, so your primary skill set, you decided not to go in the political route, but you've been mm -hmm. working in communications and PR and now you're doing that for one of the largest companies in the world. I'm wondering what have you learned from doing that work about communicating with others, whether that's you know professionally to media outlets or to agencies, or even within your teams or among coworkers or amongst just an individual organization. How can we all get a little better at communicating professionally? Yeah, that's an awesome question, and I feel honored that I could give any kind of nuggets that uh, people would listen to. But I think, like, yes, I don't directly do what my major was at Catholic, but I do at the same time, though, because um, politics is communications. And I think particularly the political curriculum at Catholic gives communicators immense skills to communicate orally and through written means, but also to gain context. So a big thing when you're thinking about policy is, you know, why would this country be upset that their trade routes or are cut off? Or what's the major concern for national security for, you know, this region of the globe versus this region? And just starting in that conversation can help you figure out what communication means, what will be the most effective means of communication for that particular issue. So I use that skill um, hourly every minute. <laughs> so, I mean, when I talking about just meetings between my team members, so uh, at Northrop Grumman, I mean, there are over 90,000 employees worldwide and my team uh, sits on media relations and communications. And our main job is to communicate effectively with journalists. And through my small role, my team of just three that's through our corporate newsroom. So we're facilitating press releases that go out about our programs, our products, whatever Northrop Grumman has to say. And I'm sitting in a meeting with the rest of my team, my larger team, and I'm thinking about a problem and how to solve it. And I'm thinking, okay, how is this person who's a director in Minnesota who focuses on our aeronautic systems sector thinking about this thing versus me who sits on the corporate level and I see everything from a really high umbrella view. Hmm. And I think that helps a lot with communication because obviously our program communicators are very much invested and very passionate as they should be, as I want them to be 
in their particular program. And then my team and my supervisor sees things from a whole company-wide view. So how does this program fit in with the rest of that? I mean, that is political, you know, that's moving the chess pieces on the board Mm -hmm. constantly. So, and then I think politics again comes into play, like particularly with myself when I'm dealing with senior leadership, like I'm still in a rather junior position. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to our vice president or someone on our ELT, my method of communication would obviously be different than if I'm talking to my coworker who's on the same level as me. Obviously you operate with professionalism, of course, but I think just thinking about those contexts when you're approaching a situation, I'm definitely not all the time, but sometimes can be an impulsive person. So when thinking about when it's important to take the step back um, and finding that common ground, particularly when a problem or conflict may arise. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a communications and PR standpoint, all, you're always thinking about messaging. Like for a corporation like Northrop Grumman, we're thinking about what our main values are, what our branding is, like all of these things that come into play when we're crafting messaging and every little thing matters, even if it's just, oh, this one tweet about this program that's happening, that matters for the quarterly earnings call, for the ELT that's responsible for, to investor relations, to everything else. So things are all very consequential. And I think that's really important to think about in communications as if everything you do has consequence, mm-hmm. which isn't isn't meant to be intimidating. It's more meant for you to be thoughtful. My current supervisor really likes to say attention to detail. That's one of his favorite phrases. And I think that goes for any job mm-hmm. that is so, so important. And then also just relationship building. I mean, within like, I'm new to this massive company and relationships are vital, not only for, um, obviously looking to the future for possible career advancement opportunities, but also just getting your work done now, picking up the phone and calling someone, like especially in our virtual world that we live in. At least I have a tendency to always just email or, you know, just DM or chat on Teams or whatever method you use. And picking up the phone and calling someone makes a big, big difference for sure. Definitely. I remember when I started my first job out of my master's program, it was my first job in the workforce. Um, I was an event coordinator and that's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And um, one of the things that my, my, my supervisor had said to me at the time, I was about to send an email. It was my first week. And he said, I don't want you to send an email. I want you to go to their office. And yeah. this week, everyone who emails you, I want you to go to their office and introduce yourself in person because it's going to help you build relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the best piece of advice that I had and in that role. And then from there, it just eliminated any fears of helping me do everything that I needed to make connections, build relationships with people. It really broke down that hesitancy from the beginning for someone who can be more introverted than extroverted. And that is so crucial to what you're saying, because you've navigated the ecclesiastical nonprofit world, right? And (laughs) you've also, you know, you're now working in corporate 
you're navigating a lot of different perspectives, not just internally, but externally. Can you talk about the importance of continually professionally developing emotional intelligence and utilizing that in the workplace? That is an awesome question. And I really appreciate the phrasing emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Obviously there are big difference between big differences between nonprofit and Mm -hmm. Mm for-profit the the world, of course, but there is also something to be said that coming from a religious nonprofit Mm -hmm. and going particularly a Catholic one, and then going to a massive secular corporation Mm -hmm. um, that's in the defense industrial base. Mm -hmm. I think navigating that transition has been easier than I expected. The environment in particularly the Catholic church Mm -hmm. space is rather similar to where I am at Northrop Grumman in one way, and that is bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's, it's funny to hear some some of my colleagues say, like, oh, it takes a long time to get things approved. And I'm here like, well, we waited five years for something to get approved <laughs> from mm-hmm. the Vatican. So at least you don't have to send it to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, you know, we have government contracts, which obviously take a long time and, you know, certain messaging takes a while to get approved. But yeah, I mean, that that is similar. But otherwise, I would say the environments are completely different. It's busier mm-hmm. on a, in a corporate world in the sense that more things need to happen more quickly and more often. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have something being launched in the middle of the night, we're up with NASA trying to get our press release out. Hmm. Whereas, you know, I didn't have to do that when I was at the USCCB. Yeah. But I think particularly the emotional intelligence when you're walking in to a room of people, like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. that would be on totally different playing fields than you are. Like I am I'm a private citizen at home, you know, with my family. I don't have a diocese to administer. Mm-hmm. And gratefully, I do not have that issue. Um, <laughs> but when I'm, you know, on staff for men that do, it's important that I think about things from that context. Mm-hmm. And I know I've said that a couple of times, but that requires immense emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly I am younger. So that can be a hindrance depending on the environment that you're in. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be, but sometimes it is. Yeah. And so people assume a variety of things based on external characteristics, as we all know, mm-hmm. whatever those characteristics are. So I think having the emotional intelligence to realize that and push through that and still prove yourself as no, I'm here for a reason. I think things that give me confidence is your supervisor hired you. Mm-hmm. Out of all the people he or she interviewed, out of all the resumes he or she read, he hired you. Mm-hmm. And I think that should give you a lot of confidence when you walk into a space like you're hired for your expertise, so own it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, have the humility to step back when necessary, right? Like if things don't go your way, if um, someone else decides to do a different a project a certain way or whatever, say, okay, that's fine and move along. Because I think at the end of the day, it is important as a team that it's not about you. It's about the team having success Mm -hmm. and doing things that are for the good of the company for, you know, whatever the mission is. And I think that would be something else that I would add as a nugget for listeners is 
work for a place where you believe in the mission, whether that's, you know, working for the Catholic Church and protecting children, whether it's working uh, for a political figure you admire, whatever it is, make sure that you believe in what you're doing, because that's the only way you're going to be a good employee. Yeah. And if it's, even if it's the smallest thing, right, even if you say, like, oh, well, I'm, you know, just this one person in a massive company. If you believe in what the company is doing, like Northrop Grumman is protecting national security, if that's what you believe in, like, then then you know that you'll be doing a good job and serving your purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's always what I think. But I will say, like, the work culture is different everywhere, even corporation to corporation, nonprofit to nonprofit. And you just have to figure out what you're you're going to have to concede on some things no matter what job you have it won't be perfect it won't check all your boxes so what's what's worth it what's a deal breaker and what's not i think that's important to realize and there's so much more to compensation than just your salary number mm -hmm. um, that's something that i've learned very quickly and i think is really important i mean northrop grumman offers 980 schedules so we effectively get every other friday off which is glorious. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there are those those certain things that you know wouldn't be combined in your annual salary number, but that still add value to your compensation package. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Well, Lauren dropped a lot of nuggets and a lot of wisdom so far but one question we like to ask our guests is what's the best piece of career advice that you've been given or what is the best piece of career advice that you like to give yeah i, I don't think i'm senior enough to give people advice <laughs> <laughs> the best advice i've ever been given was one of my internship directors at a think tank in dc he told me everything is an interview mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, that's really stuck with me because every interaction you have, like we were talking about, Ryan was saying mm -hmm. her former supervisor, asking her to go to people's offices, talking about maintaining relationships. You never know mm -hmm. what could come of those, com of those conversations, mm -hmm. whether you're looking for a promotion or just another connection that could be useful later. There's somebody's great aunt that could help you on later on. I mean, who knows, especially in DC, like everyone knows everyone. I think that was the best advice I've ever been given because it made me be really intentional with my interactions mm -hmm. with anyone, particularly with those who are more senior than me, but even those who are more junior. I think it's even more important sometimes when people are more junior because you just never know what people will become and who you may run into or use as a connection later on or you know, even just to have... Uh, as a personal connection, it all matters. Yeah, a lot of good things there. Mm -hmm. Well, Lauren, we're looking forward to this. This is one of I, th I know I say this almost every time, but it's one of my favorite things that we get to do <laughs> on the podcast. And I get to do for the university is to dig through the university archives for our blast from the past segment. And searching for you, I'm looking for Lauren Hand, and I found a few entries, mostly from the tower. You 
dabbled in political commentary while you were a student here, Ooh. which makes sense since you were a yeah, politics student. <laughs> and uh, there was a, a rather significant election that happened while you were a student here. So rather. there was lots of political commentary around <laughs> that I found. So if folks are interested in finding that, you can certainly search for those in the 2015-2016 Tower archives. <laughs> But the article that we want to talk to you about today is not political, at least in the most narrow sense, because it's highlighting what, what has become kind of a marquee event for Catholic University students, and that's Capital Fest. And so this article comes from October the 2nd, 2015, and you have a nice little line in here as a person who was in charge of programming for Capital Fest. So just to give folks listening, if you want to, of course, follow along in the article, there'll be a, a link in the show description. But here's what the article has to say. So headline, Hurricane Joaquin won't stop Capital Fest 2015, which... As I read that out loud, I realize that that rhymes. Yeah, yeah. I, when I read it in my head, <laughs> nice, nice it play didn't on rhyme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the article says, Capital Fest is Catholic University's newest tradition for students to enjoy live music. On Saturday, October 3rd, American authors will play live music at Catholic University in the great room of the Edward J. Prisbilla Center. Program Board is hosting this event free of charge for all undergraduate students, but if you want to indulge yourself, there's a VIP option for $10 that includes early admission, an event t-shirt, and a reserved spot in front of the stage. Skip down a little bit and get to the part that I think we're most interested in. Program Board has been working very hard to make this year's Capital Fest a success. Programming Chair Lauren Hans said, quote, Capital Fest will be different because of the food trucks. We are making it bigger, better, and more fun. Ooh. So, yo, I was just going to say, my first question was, what kind of food trucks did you have, Lauren? Because that sounds amazing, especially with it coming up on the lunch hour. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well I'm glad you asked, Ryan, because yeah. the next paragraph, the food trucks that will be included are Ooh, yes. Mac Attack, Orange Cow, and Crepe Love. Mm. Mac Attack is a barbecue and mac and cheese food truck. Yeah. Orange Cow has ice cream, and Crepe Love is a crepe food truck. That's where All this delicious me. food will be available, so remember to bring your money. Why wasn't I here in 2015? I know. Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> I made my mark. What can I say? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Lauren, do you have any reflections or memories from Capital Fest? Do you like the planning, or how did it actually go? Was the band any good? Did people show up? What was it like? Well, so it got rained out, so that's why we had to have it in the great room. And I remember very vividly that I had to pick American authors up from Reagan National. And I was driving a band with the band in the back and their agent or something. And they like had all these issues with their luggage. So that's probably my most vivid memory. But Capital Fest, I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time when I was there uh, on program board was the biggest event that program board did. It was the most people, the highest budgeted event, and for good reason. It was great, and people really enjoyed it. And in the article that you brought up here, Brett, they talk about 2014 when Walk the Moon performed, and that was my freshman year. That was the first Capital Fest, and I, I just remember that I felt so cool that I got to plan it the next year while I was on program board. I can't say enough good things about program board, the connections and the skills that I was able to gain from making presentations to mm -hmm. treasury board about our budget and our plans for events. I mean, I would put those on resumes for internships. I still do. And I mean, we managed at the time, it was close to a quarter of a million dollars of student activity budget that I'm sure it's higher now if program board's still around, but yeah, it um, sure is. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it it is a cool group. And I think, of course, there was a BBQ and mac and cheese food truck because, as I originally said, I'm from Texas. So, of course, <laughs> yeah, there has to be a BBQ and mac and cheese food truck. I think the next year was Mr. Wives. I think that was the next year. And I was still on PB. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is a great event. And those program board students work amazingly hard to plan everything for everyone. And it's completely volunteer. I mean, they get to go to all the events, but they have to work the entire time. <laughs> Program board is one of my fondest memories from Catholic, for sure. It's a great, great organization. Lauren, I have a question. From this experience, as you reminisce on it, and like you said, you've been able to to utilize the skills that you had, the experiences you've had to strengthen your resume for internships at the time. And even now, you know, you, you look at how you've been able to build upon that. Could you tell me a little bit about how participating in extracurricular activities in undergrad, how that contributes to work ethic for any students that are listening to this? Can you talk a little bit about how your work ethic was really strengthened through the experiences that you kind of talked about, even from just like having to drive to the airport to pick up the band? <laughs> like, yeah, doing everything. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, for that particular thing, I also have to hand it every programming chair on program board, at least at the time, had a programming assistant as well. Mm -hmm. And my particular assistant was wonderful. She kept me sane through all of that. I think being involved in extracurriculars is totally vital. I feel like in high school, everyone tells you that like, oh, you you have to have at least seven or whatever it is now the advice, you know, to get into your perfect college. I wouldn't say that it's a particular number, just do something that you're passionate about. But the thing I learned most from participating in clubs, you know, I was in program board and college Republicans most heavily involved in those two organizations. And the biggest thing I learned from those was time management. And I mean, that translates to any position mm -hmm. at any mm -hmm. point, even if someone's retired or is, you know, even a homemaker, like time management is so vital. Mm -hmm. So I think that translates so well. And then, like I was saying, particularly with program board, you have, you have to prove that you can manage a budget. Mm -hmm. And that is vital, even from a personal standpoint, like even for just personal financial well-being, you know how to manage a budget. And Ryan, you were talking about your first job as event coordination. Mm -hmm. Like I never had that as a full-time job, but I know firsthand how hard that is being <laughs> yeah. on program board because <laughs> yeah. you have to come up with a rain plan. And, or like, I mean, mm -hmm. I think Capital Fest one year was attended by at least like 1500 students or something. That's a massive wow. amount of people yeah. to like keep safe and dry mm -hmm. and fed. And like, you know, they seem trivial when you're talking about it in this conversation, but like that is so hard mm -hmm. to do. But the fact that university students are giving this much are given this much autonomy to plan these events, I think is absolutely wonderful. And I have to give it up for the student activity staff there at the university. I mean, they're so 
fostering of the independence and autonomy for like residents life and uh, the residents ministers and organizations like program board. It's just so, so cool. Also, I think communication comes into it too. Like you cannot do anything unless you're an effective communicator. Yes. So all of that is so important within this. And I think those are special skills on a resume. I'll t- I've put them down mm-hmm. as special yeah. skills. You can do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When I used to hire interns, I always preferred that they have some experience with program board because you mm-hmm. you got a crash course on how to make events happen and right. work with different organizations around the campus. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you had a formative experience working w- with program board and think of it fondly. In case you're interested, Capital Fest has continued on and Woo-hoo! most recently, yeah, <laughs> gosh, I guess I'm old now, but the band was Hot Shell Ray. I hope I'm pronouncing yes. that correctly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no idea. No. Uh, but your legacy lives on through Capital Fest. Mm-hmm. But Lauren, thanks so much for reminiscing on that. Thanks for joining us today for a great conversation with the Cardinal. And we wish you all the best going forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Lauren. Oh, for sure. Thank you both so much. And yeah, if there's anything I can ever do for any of the listeners or y'all, just just let me know. Thank you. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Cardinal Conversations. Yeah, always a pleasure to do this with you, Ryan. And we are grateful to our guests, as well as to the Center for Academic and Career Success and the Office of Alumni Engagement for allowing us to partner together to hear and learn from our alumni career stories. Yeah, you can find links to resources for the blast from the past and other interesting things in the show description in your podcast app. If you'd like to support the students, research, and mission of the Catholic University of America, you can also click on the giving link in the show description as well. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Until next time.